0: there are people who are afraid of the press have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses i've heard the bifocal but not not multifocal do you need help with your multifocal strategy learn more at the conclusion of this episode
1: MacuHealth with MicromyCell, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and MicromyCell technology. Hello, and
0: welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gill, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Great news, you can now watch our full-length documentary, Open Your Eyes, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube movies and shows. Keratitis is a painful inflammation of the eye's clear top layer, the cornea, it could stem from an infection or injury and can make vision blurry and the eye sensitive to light. Patients with new onset pain or decreased vision should be promptly seen by an eye physician. Today's podcast is one is on one type of keratitis, viral keratitis. In the U.S., viral keratitis is usually caused by herpes simplex virus or varicella zoster. It is often difficult to diagnose and treat. Today's guest south florida ophthalmologist daniel montenegro md is a world expert on the diagnosis and treatment of this most difficult disease dr montenegro specializes in the medical and surgical management of cataract and corneal and external disease he is a well-known lecturer and educator dr montenegro thank you for joining me today
2: it was my pleasure carrie very happy to be here and having this great conversation with you today
0: you know, before we get into some of the viral keratitises that affect the eye, let's talk about some of the viral conditions, the conjunctivitis that could affect the eye, because a lot of patients come into that complaining their eye is tearing and their eye is, is a little sore or painful. If we could start off with something that's fairly common, uh, EKC. What is EKC? What causes it? And
2: how, how contagious is it? Well, you know, it's a very common situation when when you're in your clinic, and you have a patient that comes in as an emergency, acutely with a red 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 eye or a pink eye that's tearing, and you'll often be photophobic, light sensitive, and have discomfort and a sudden change in vision. Now, what we see more commonly uh, as far as viral keratitis in people that are very young. Meaning, you know, uh, adolescents, uh, you know, newborns, adolescents, even some adults, are what called what are called adenoviral conjunctivitis. So your adenoviral conjunctivitis is what's the what's described as the classic pink eye, and that can cause that tearing, light sensitivity, and red eye that happens acutely. Now what kind of virus it is and its characteristics, you're getting at the molecular level of the virus itself. Why is that important? Because viruses can either have an envelope around them or some of them don't have an envelope around them. So in the case of adenovirus, it's highly contagious. So what that means is that you can touch a surface or uh, become in contact with somebody else's hand or secretions and touch your own eye and that can cause an acute adenoviral conjunctivitis and that con- that type of conjunctivitis is typically self limited so that's a good thing about an adenoviral conjunctivitis that this is usually self limited but even though it's self limited you have some subtypes carry like the one you mentioned EKC what is EKC EKC is Epidemic keratoconjunctivitis EKC. And EKC causes a more severe type of acute viral conjunctivitis. It is still adenovirus, but it's a subtype or a strain that causes a more severe uh, uh, conjunctivitis. Why is it bad and why was, why must we know that it's, or suspect that EKC can be in the picture for a patient? Because it can have long-term scarring in your cornea and long-term scarring in your conjunctiva. So if you develop scarring in your cornea, you're going to have a hazy cornea. You can develop stromal opacities, or you can also develop epithelial defects. You can also have inflammation inside the eye. If you wind up with stromal opacities or scarring, subepithelial infiltrates, those can affect your vision permanently. So you can go from having 20-20 best corrected vision to having 20-60 or worse best corrected vision because of stromal opacities as a result of the uh, inflammation caused by that virus, that adenovirus. Another situation that we've seen that can be very debilitating for a patient is, let's say that patient with EKC has a lot of membranes in the fornix. The fornix is the space between the conjunctiva on the lid and the eye that's that fornix, that's that space. If a patient has a lot of pseudomembranes or mucous membranes in that fornix, if you don't remove those membranes and those membranes are left there with time, you can have what are called symblepharon. symblepharon. Symblepharon are these adhesions between the eye and the lid. And if those adhesions form a scar or a permanent adhesion, that's not a good situation either because you're already destroying the fornix and the patient might have trouble moving their eye. So EKC is a severe type of adenoviral conjunctivitis, and it's very important to recognize it. You want to recognize corneal scarring, opacities, pseudomembranes, and blephron. The treatment is aggressive topical steroids. Prednisolone acetate, 1% ophthalmic, or even Durazole, which is difluprednate 0.12%, can be used Um, every three to four hours, just to treat the inflammation that the patient is having. When you're treating these patients with steroids acutely, you're decreasing their immune response, but you're also helping that bad inflammation to have in your eye that can cause permanent vision loss. You still have to warn them and advise them to wash your hands, don't touch your other eye if it's not infected, and don't share any linens or towels or pillows with your family members or friends, because it's it is highly con- contagious.
0: Now, when somebody comes in with early EKC, we could test for a pre-auricular node. And and and, and we when we pull down the conjunctiva, we we
2: we we see uh, a certain pattern. If you could talk about that as well. So, as part of your physical exam, before you even put the slit lamp in the patient. We like to test for inflammation of the preauricular nodes. These are nodes located, nodes located in front of the ears. If you notice that those are palpable nodes, preauricular nodes, that's where the virus sometimes has activity. So you want to make sure that you palpate the preauricular nodes, and if they feel a little bit inflamed, that increases your suspicion for adenoviral conjunctivitis. And when you pull down the lids, what you're going to see is a follicular reaction. You're going to have follicles in the conjunctiva, with, along with the injection pattern, and that follicular pattern is characteristic of adenoviral conjunctivitis. So, at what
0: time should you start the steroids? Should we start it right away, or should should we wait until we start seeing infiltrates?
2: So, if you if it's a mild adenoviral conjunctivitis without subepithelial infiltrates. And without pseudomembranes, pseudomembranes are thin strings of inflammatory tissue that is the body's response to inflammation and an infection. If you don't see subepithelial infiltrates and you don't see pseudomembranes, you can treat more conservatively with artificial tears uh, every four to six hours without preservatives, cold compresses for comfort. That's typically the treatment once you start seeing pseudomembranes or infiltrates into cornea, then your role should be to start steroids.
0: Because a lot of times it takes eight days, you know, they'll start off with the tearing and the follicular conjunctivitis, the preauricular nose, and then eight days later is when they get the, the when they get the subepithelial infiltrates. So we don't know who's going to get the infiltrates and who's not. So is right. there a downside to starting steroids early?
2: There is a downside to starting steroids earlier, meaning that what I would do is have, if the patient has no infiltrates and no pseudomembranes, you want to follow the patient after about two weeks. And if during the follow-up, you notice that they have infiltrates or pseudomembranes, then you might consider adding a steroid then. So you can still decide to start it later on in a follow-up. Starting it earlier is going to weaken their immune system. It's going to it's going to weaken their local immune response if you add a steroid. So the duration of the conjunctivitis might be a little bit longer if you start a steroid too early. So that's one of the downsides is that you're bringing down their immune system and they might be shedding viral particles for a longer time. You understand? And,
0: how, yeah, and how about like a betadine wash? That's something that's becoming in favor with some people, they're recommending uh, rinsing the eye with betadine.
2: Yeah, betadine is used quite frequently in ophthalmology. Um, We use betadine to sterilize the surgical field before cataract surgeries or before any kind of ocular procedure. Betadine is very effective in killing bacteria and viruses. So the downside of betadine is that it's very toxic. So whenever you do use betadine, on the surface of the eye, which is what you would do in a case of a viral conjunctivitis, you wanna use a very diluted form of betadine to rinse the eye. It has to be less than 5% concentration of betadine. You can even bring it down to 1% betadine. And what's been shown is that patients will tolerate 1% betadine in the form of an eye drop, and you can use that maybe four times a day and that has been shown to reduce the viral load on the eye in the setting of a conjunctivitis. So that's where the betadine comes into play.
0: Now, would that be, now when you buy betadine at CVS, it comes up 10%. So you would have to dilute it down and
2: to give it you to can the- dilute beta. it down in sterile water. And how, you how
0: would you dilute it? it? Like how, how would something, if you wanna go from 10% to 1%, how would you dilute it if you're gonna use, say contact lens solution?
2: So what you would do is you would have a sterile cup. You can use a sterile cup and pour one one milliliter of that be, one milliliter of that ten percent beta dye. Only one milliliter or half a milliliter, and you measure that in the cup. You can do that by measuring yourself while pouring, or you can do it with a syringe. You can draw it with a syringe, which will be a little bit more accurate. So you bring that volume of one milliliter to. 10 milliliters with sterile water. So you're going to have a total of 10 milliliters. That's nine milliliters of sterile water and one milliliter of that 10% betadine. That would give you 1% betadine. And then what you can do is that you can empty an artificial tear container. You can have an artificial tear container. You can empty that and then pour, and you can inject with a needle that diluted betadine into that bottle. And the patient can use that. The patient can use that diluted solution. I would bring it down to maybe zero point five percent, so it'll be zero a dilution of about zero point five percent.
0: So if you bring it down to zero point five percent, it would be one drop of the one t- drop in t- nineteen and 20, milliliters of water. And nineteen and then and then yeah. uh, nineteen or twenty drops of uh, contact lens yes.
2: solution. And you can use that maybe two or three times a day. Okay. And you know that, and that dilution factor will be irritating it'll irritate the eye you need to tell that to the patients but it will de- decrease the the length of the of the conjunctivitis
0: and is there anything natural that could be done you know whether it's vitamin C or vitamin D to, to kind of help the immune system of the patient
2: we typically use vitamin C, in the setting of more severe corneal ulcers. So vitamin C, the only time we use vitamin C in ophthalmology when it relates to corneal diseases is if a patient has a severe corneal ulcer that's melting the cornea. So for for example, a patient wears contact lenses, they sleep with their contact lenses sometimes, they shower with them, they went for a swim in the pool with them, and they have a ulcer of the cornea with ulceration, and when, when I say ulceration, I mean that the stroma in the corneal layer is thinning because of the infection. If a patient is at risk of having a corneal perforation, a hole in their cornea, we start high-dose vitamin C orally and doxycycline orally in addition to antibiotics to try to prevent ulceration and perforation of the cornea because vitamin C and doxycycline decrease inflammation and vitamin C promotes collagen formation in the setting of a a bad corneal ulcer. But it wouldn't be very useful for a viral conjunctivitis to help your immune system.
0: Right, 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 right. Okay, so let's turn our attention to herpes simplex uh, virus. Tell us about herpes simplex and the family of the different types of strains that are involved in the herpes virus you know certainly in optometry and ophthalmology we're very interested in zoster and simplex but there is other there's about eight different strains of uh, herpes uh,
2: of the herpes virus so we have different uh, strains of herpes virus um, you have first of all the herpes simplex virus can be categorized, can be divided by herpes simplex 1 and herpes simplex 2. Now, these are different herpes simplex viruses. The herpes simplex that typically affects the eye is the herpes simplex 1 category, herpes simplex 1. And there are about four different strains of herpes simplex 1, which cause keratitis and also can cause not only keratitis, inflammation of the cornea, but they can also cause Glaucoma, increasing tracheal pressure, early cataract formation, and it can also cause iritis, which is inflammation inside the eye and inflammation of the cornea in all the different layers. And that's why we call it keratitis. So, keratitis is a very broad term that, like we discussed, can be caused by adenoviruses, but also herpes virus. And we're going to talk now and, and talk more about herpes simplex keratitis.
0: So Herb, I believe it was Herb Kaufman, who was the father of, of herpes uh, simplex, and he used to lecture a lot. He was a famous cornea specialist who in ophthalmology that so used to lecture a lot. And he talked about the four strains and that some of the strains are more likely to come out and cause a, a dendrite or cause a uh, effect of
2: cornea. Is that still something that is thought about? No, I mean, it hasn't come up as much in recent discussions. It hasn't come up in in recent discussions. And I believe the reason for that is that we are treating all cases of herpes simplex keratitis using the guidelines that were set forth by the HEAD study, the herpes eye disease study. So the HEAD study laid a foundation for the treatment of herpes simplex keratitis. And in that study, looking at the four different strains didn't really come into play all that much. But he used to talk about, because there's a lot, because most of us,
0: and correct me if I'm wrong, about 90% of us have herpes simplex living in in the nucleus, in the trigeminal nerve in our body. Uh, But very few of us, it comes out and it actually causes a problem. And at one time, we felt that some of the strains were more likely to come out than others. And I'm not sure if it still felt that way or not. That's kind of what I meant.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure either, to be honest with you, if one of the strains is more prone to coming out. But like, you're, like you said, you're absolutely right. The herpes simplex virus does reside within the dorsal root ganglion. So the dorsal root ganglion is where the virus itself lies dormant. It's sleeping in the dorsal root ganglion. And the majority of us will have the virus dormant in the dorsal root ganglion. It only gets activated in a small percentage. Do your patients know what presbyopia is? There are
0: people who are afraid of the press. Have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses? I've heard the bifocal, but not multifocal. multifocal. Do you need help with your multifocal strategy? Learn more at the conclusion of this episode.
1: MACU Health. Your science born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science.
0: And how do we get this virus into our body uh, when we're a child? How does it come into us?
2: So the herpes simplex virus is a a double-stranded DNA virus. It's a double-stranded DNA virus. So it has an envelope coating, a protein envelope so that means it doesn't resist harsh conditions it dies very easily in the environment the herpes simplex virus that lies in our dorsal root ganglion is acquired is acquired from surfaces and from secretions
0: so but it a,
2: doesn't but it doesn't cause a clinical infection in the majority of people
0: right so most people you know children will get it you know, you know yes. by 5 or 6 years old 50 60% of the kids already have it maybe from the mother kissing them or them touching something, is that correct?
2: That's correct. It's acquired from surfaces, from secretions, correct.
0: Now, look, before we get into herpes one and two and, 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 and uh, the reactivation of the virus, let's talk to about primary herpes keratitis that's seen mostly in children. And uh, what do we see clinically uh, when somebody when a child gets a primary herpes simplex Infection.
2: So that's a very great question you're asking because the clinical features of herpes keratitis in children and adults are quite different. Okay, Um, in children, we often see in the pediatric population um, more severe herpes keratitis. Whenever it happens, it tends to be more severe. You'll have a lot more. You'll have more lid inflammation, and you can also have keratitis in children. You can have a lid reaction, you can have a follicular conjunctivitis. Just like you can have a follicular conjunctivitis with an adenovirus, the initial presentation of a herpes viral keratitis might be a follicular reaction, a follicular conjunctivitis. And in adults, what we see is that 95% of the time, herpes keratitis in adults is unilateral, meaning one eye only is affected. In children, it's more common to have bilateral disease. So you can have bilateral herpes keratitis in children, and that's very, that's very uncharacteristic in adults. And what do we see on the lid specifically uh, of kids with uh, a primary herpes infection? With a primary herpes infection, you might see erythema of the lids. You might see a blepharoconjunctivitis. You might have a, a discharge and swelling, a mucus discharge, and you'll also see for the most part a follicular reactions from the and, virus. And to treat this, are we using liquid acyclovir? So in children, children are have a very difficult time swallowing pills. So we can give a in a suspension to treat, to treat. Now, if a children, if a child is immunocompromised or they can't swallow yet, they might need intravenous treatment. To treat the the uh, the virus itself.
0: Now, now is it it should it always be treated, or is it ever self-limiting where it won't be treated?
2: We prefer to treat. We always treat acute um, herpes disease in infants or adults. We always treat. So when
0: they have the vesicular rash around the eyelid and which is a, a hallmark of it. If you can, you're gonna to try to treat them with, with the acyclovir with the liquid?
2: So you have two options. You can treat, systemic treatment has been shown to be as effective as local treatment. So one option is if you have only local disease or rash on the skin, a vesicular rash, one option is to treat that locally with the Zergan gel. So Zergan, Zergan is FDA approved and it has excellent activity against herpes viruses on the eye, Zergen gel can be applied four to five times a day to treat a local reaction if it's very limited on the eyelids or maybe just a follicular reaction. That would be, a, that would be something to consider as well.
0: So do you tip, would you typically treat it with the, with, with the gel or would you typically treat it with the uh, acyclovir a uh, liquid?
2: If it's uh, if it's somebody in a very young age, maybe let's say uh, a, a, a newborn or a kid that's two or three, where giving them a suspension might be very difficult, it might be easier to just apply the Zergan gel directly to the eye, four or five times a day. That might do the trick. If you're a little bit older, six or seven, you know they would not give parents a hard time to drink a suspension. Then a cyclofer suspension is also an option.
0: And we talked a minute before that it's a DNA virus as, as opposed to an RNA virus. Is a DNA viruses easier to treat with medication?
2: So they have different mechanisms of, of dividing themselves, different mechanisms of reproduction. So RNA viruses might have the capacity to have more mutations and if a, if a virus mutates more, it becomes more difficult to treat. So it all depends on the machine the machinery of the virus and how well it's able to replicate and create a mutation to escape the immune, the host immune response. But herpes viruses are DNA viruses. And how about adenovirus? Adenovirus is also a DNA virus. And
0: uh, do they respond to treatments such as acyclovir or Valtrex or any of the typical medications that we use to treat uh, herpes simplex and herpes zoster?
2: You know, um, adenoviruses do not respond to the acyclovir, the antivirals, such as acyclovir, famcyclovir, gancyclovir, or valcyclovir that we use to treat herpes viruses the adenoviruses don't respond because their um, their machinery their enzymes are different so they don't get affected by the by these medications and so there, go ahead I'm sorry yeah and there's no oral or iv medication itself that we use to treat adenoviruses for the most part adenoviruses are treated with eye drops you know, whereas herpes viruses are different, we treat those systemically with uh, oral medications, which we're going to we're we're get into that into, in a minute.
0: So, the virus is, is uh, the herpes virus is living in the trigeminal uh, nucleus and the ganglion in the nucleus, and there are triggers that will make it come out. What are those triggers that will make the virus come out where somebody will wind up with a corneal infection?
2: So that was studied in the head study. The head study um, looked at risk factors for reactivation or activation of herpes simplex keratitis. And in the head study, they looked at factors such as smoking, stress, sunlight. And in the study itself, it wasn't statistically significant. Like if you, if you had stress, there was a slight increase in deactivation of herpes keratitis but it wasn't statistically significant. But in real life, what we see is that people that are usually under more stressful conditions can have a reactivation or activation of herpes keratitis. So people that are usually a little bit more stressed might have a more of a propensity to have a reactivation. Another risk factor is your immune system. So your immune system waxes and wanes. It's, it's a very cyclical pattern in your immune system. And that's why when people have decreased immunity, um, you can have uh, activation of herpes, keratitis and inflammation. If somebody has a uh, a immune system that doesn't function that well, immunocompromised state, for example, HIV or AIDS, they also might have a higher chance, higher probability of having different kinds of viruses, including herpes viruses affect the eye. And also people with atopy, people with eczema, under skin, and uh, seasonal allergies or year-round allergies, vernal or atopic keratoconjunctivitis. these patients that have roughened skin, eczema, itchy skin, um, those patients can often have, are at higher risk of having bilateral herpes uh, infections or unilateral herpes infections.
0: And How about prostaglandins? It's been said that prostaglandin analogs that we use in glaucoma may trigger a herpes infection.
2: Yeah, the prostaglandin analogs, um, as we all know from glaucoma, they increase the outflow of aqueous and is a great treatment for glaucoma, often first line. Um, But the prostaglandin analogs can cause local inflammation in the cornea. And since they cause local inflammation in the cornea, it can provoke or induce a dendritic keratitis. So a patient that starts a new glaucoma medication, and after a while they have tearing, light sensitivity, redness, and you see a dendrite in your cornea, the right thing to do is to stop the the prostaglandin analog and give them a treatment for the dendritic keratitis presumed to be from a herpes infection.
0: And what glaucoma medication is safe to use with a patient with herpes? You're gonna need to lower the intraocular pressure.
2: If you have a patient with herpes, a history of herpes or active herpes keratitis, I would say that beta blockers are safe, timolol, Carbonic, hyd- carbonic anhydrous inhibitors, such as jarzolamide or brinzolamide, are safe to use. Uh, Bromonidine is also safe to use in that setting. I would not use a prostaglandin analog, and I would probably stay away from a rokinase inhibitor as well, because we know that rokinase inhibitors can cause some changes in the cornea, um, as well, some other uh, epithelial changes. More well, commonly for Tissolata. How about LASIK as a, as a risk factor or reactivation? Any kind of laser, any kind of laser, uh, uh, selective laser trabeculoplasty for glaucoma, a JAG uh, posterior capsulotomy or iridotomy, a retinal laser to treat a retinal tear. Um, any of these lasers can uh, also provoke a, a herpes keratitis, and, and why? Very rare. That would be very rare. And what, what would so, be the meca- What would be the mechanism there? The mechanism, it, the mechanism it's just, you know, one could be from eye drops that are used after a laser. A patient might be started on a for this drop or a steroid after a laser, and you're decreasing the immune system, you're decreasing the immune response and strength temporarily, that might cause a, an activation. And there are other factors that are less poorly understood um, as far as how a laser can activate um, a virus, less well-known mechanisms, because all we're doing with the laser is treating pathology and causing perhaps localized inflammation, how that localized inflammation plays a role in activating a virus that's poorly understood.
0: So let's talk about uh, herpes uh, keratitis is basically a clinical disease, but do you ever use labs to help you with the
2: diagnosis? I have not. I have not used any labs to to confirm my suspicion. Um, Typically what you see when you see a dendrite, for example, when you see a dendrite, we presume that that's caused by a herpes virus. So it's it's still to this day, most people don't use labs. You could use labs such as a swab and do testing for herpes viruses uh, from a swab test, but that will be expensive, and it's usually not needed to establish a diagnosis.
0: So let's talk about the, the, the What it does to the cornea, we have epithelial disease, we have stromal disease, we have endothelial disease, and each one of them seems to have it could be infectious or autoimmune, and and the nomenclature and the names get very confusing because I think a lot of different people have named yeah. it, so each one has many different names. but let's start with epithelial disease, uh, the low hanging fruit, the one that we see a lot is the typical reactivation of the virus the dendrite so talk to us walk us through the dendrite and what actually could we see before the dendrite because i had a just a very interesting case uh a week or two ago was a young girl coming back from college and she was in her i think she was about 24 and she had very unusual a very unusual keratitis a a very unusual almost like it was bitten and, you know, cause I've been around, I did a VA residency, I'm very familiar with herpes and I was pretty sure that it was herpes and we put her on the treatment that you're gonna talk about and she got better right away. So the diagnosis was correct. But right. talk right. about talk about herpes, about uh, keratitis uh, from a uh, infectious point of view, before we get to the dendrite.
2: So the herpes virus itself, oh it lives within the dorsal root ganglion. So that's within your central nervous system and it lies dormant. So th- uh, what happens is the virus itself can become active. It can go from dormant to active. And the virus itself, the virus, the virus once it makes it, its way from the dorsal root ganglion all the way to the cornea, that's where it can cause inflammation or keratitis. So when we look at epithelial disease, which typically will manifest as a dendrite, it can be a small dendrite or it can be a large dendrite. That's epithelial disease. We know that epithelial disease, which is the outermost layer of the cornea, epithelial disease is usually caused by a live virus. So the dendrite you're seeing on the cornea is live virus replicating. So the live viral replication of that herpes virus, that HSV virus, this was causing a dendrite. And that's what you're seeing clinically. And it'll typically stain with rose bengal or with fluorescein. That's the easiest way to see it, using one of these, one, either one of these stains. Now it's very important to note, rose bengal used for staining the cornea has, has antiviral activity in and of itself. So the rose bengal stain can actually kill some of that virus. So you're not only diagnosing, but you're also treating part of the disease entity you're you're dealing with. So epithelial HSV keratitis, you're looking at live active viral replication and that's what's causing the damage. So to treat that, how are we gonna treat that? So you have two options. You have two options. And we like to go with evidence-based treatments. So there's anecdotal treatments and there's evidence-based treatment. Evidence-based treatment goes through, goes through rigorous reviews and study designs. And that, a prime example of that, a great example, is the HEAD study. The HEAD study looked at treatments for HSV, herpes simplex keratitis. And what the HEAD study showed was that oral antivirals oral acyclovir is just as effective as topical antiviral to treat herpes simplex keratitis. The preferred treatment is oral antiviral. That can be oral acyclovir. When you have active disease, if a patient has a new dendrite, if they have endothelitis or stromal keratitis or inflammation and you suspect suspect that it's herpes, herpes related, it's best to treat with an oral antiviral, a ciprofloxacin 400, 400 milligrams, five times a day, or valtrex valcyclovir 500 milligrams, uh, three times a day. And with how active long, disease? And how long do you usually treat for? You treat active disease for 10 to 14 days. 10 so to 14 days. Now is the breedman used anymore? Debridement is used if you have, if, you, if all you have is a dendrite, if all you have is a dendrite, and again, we're treating with an antiviral because we know that this is live virus causing the disease. We're not, we're not adding steroids yet. We only debride if the epithelium is very loose. Typically with a dendrite, the epithelium won't be loose. You're going to see the staining from the dendrite. It's a very small linear epithelial defect but you don't need to debride the epithelium if it's not loosed. We only debride if it's dead epithelium, if it's sloppy, if it's very sloughed off epithelium. And by debriding, you're actually cleaning off and removing some of the active virus from the corneal epithelium, which might help.
0: Now let's take this patient. They went to a walk-in clinic or they went yeah. to the hospital and they were given a steroid. And now they come back and they have this big, we used to call it in the old days, an amoeboid type uh dendrite talk about that yeah i mean
2: i think a lot of us have been burned carrie a lot of us have been burned with treating um what looks to be um or what is herpes keratitis and adding steroids too early so if you treat these uh herpes keratitis and steroids too early when they have a dendrite, or an early epithelial defect, by using steroids too early and too frequently with, with inadequate follow-up, you can wind up with a secondary infection, possibly uh, acanthamoeba, which is a parasite. And uh, acanthamoeba is a parasitic infection of the cornea. Risk factors are contact lens wear and uh, prolonged use of topical steroids, and they can cause a devastating vision loss or even loss of the eye. So, so
0: it that, that patient comes to you. I, I like to talk to you about a amoeba, but I want to talk to you at the end about that. Uh, yeah. But they come, they come in, and now they have this big dendrite. You know. Uh, so, yeah, now we have are, you him this, are you treating them? Are you treating them the same way, are, or are you even? Are you going to give them a higher dose,
2: like a zasta dose? So, if a patient comes in with a larger dendrite and they've been on a steroid for a longer amount of time. Um, And if you have a larger epithelial defect, uh, it would be more prudent to um, get a little swab of that area where there's uh, absence of epithelium or an ulcer. And you can send that to a culture if you have the culture capacity in your clinic, or refer out to somewhere an academic center where where they have a culture, uh, they have culture, uh, ability to culture, you know, culture swabs in a lab. And you can find out if there's any secondary infection coming from that dendrite that's now larger. You want to stop the steroids. You need to stop the steroids, possibly culture, and also treat now with an antiviral, your oral antiviral, and also cover with a broad spectrum antibiotic. A third or fourth generation fluoroquinolone might be useful here, gadifloxacin, ofloxacin, or moxifloxacin to treat the possible secondary infection. Will you ever treat orally and topically?
0: Or, yep. or is it always just one I, I, with antivirals I'm talking about?
2: Or with, antivi- or with antivirals, you're better off treating with just one or the other, one or the other. Trifluoridine was one of the first eye drops. It was used, you know, in previous generations in the 80s and 90s, trifluoridine topical was used to treat herpes virus keratitis, but trifluoridine is extremely toxic to the cornea and the eye. It's extremely toxic and it's dosed at 7 times per day, which is very frequently. So the advantage of using oral acyclovir or oral valcyclovir is that you're not going to have to worry about that uh, corneal epithelial toxicity that you have with trifluoridine. The other option is to treat locally with, uh, with Zergan. And if a patient has a known history of renal kidney disease or liver disease, and they can't take any systemic medication that might affect their kidneys or liver, liver then you can treat those patients locally with Zergan, uh, Zergan which is gancyclovir gel. Excellent.
1: MacuHealth with Micromicell, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicell technology.
0: Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy.
2: OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media.
0: We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEBroadcasting.com and sign up today.
1: Each generation was supposed to be healthier than the last one. Lifespan was supposed to be increasing. We were supposed to be in this paradise by now. Instead of getting healthier and healthier, it seems to have gone the opposite way.
0: Millennials were projected to be the first generation in history to not outlive the generation before them.
1: We are certainly headed for disaster. I think a lot of people are beginning to question the whole story. We live in a time where the paradigms are shifting and the optometrist, in my opinion, is one of the best kept secrets. The public doesn't realize about going to the eye doctor.
0: So many different diseases actually manifest in the eye. The back of the eye is the
1: only place in the body that you could actually see the blood vessels. Completely non-invasively, you could screen thousands of people, not just for their eye health, but for their whole body health. Because this disease is here, it's also going to be here. And I can look into the back of my eyeball, and there are expert doctors on the ground who are looking at my eyeball while I'm doing it. The eye is the canary of the mind.
2: The eye is the kingdom.
1: Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy.
0: When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You.
1: And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me. AND YOU.